0: Happy Easter! Uh, some Sundays that we gather together, every time we gather together and worship, there's celebration. That's part of worship. But sometimes we gather together to learn, and in doing that, we celebrate. This morning we're just celebrating, so um, that should be our heart today: is 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 just to enjoy what's in the text of the Word and celebrate what it, what it means this morning for us, and so that's what we're going to do, and I, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. If you're using one of the ones in the seat back in front of you, it is page 693, and I want to say this, if, if you don't have a Bible or if you lost yours, um, that's okay, you can have that one, take it home, don't lose it, uh, read it, uh, but consider it a gift, Uh, from us to you. Uh, Today we're going to, this morning we're going to talk about um, a fresh perspective on the Lord. And one way of thinking about it as we lead into it, have you ever had a friend or a colleague or a family member who is actually quite an accomplished, fill in the blank, a musician, or an artist, or an athlete, but it was in some other area of life. That's not how you know them. You don't know them from that perspective. You know them from work, or you know them from uh, some very normal kind of exchange. But somewhere there's some chapter in their life where they're actually quite unique. Whether it's you know a great aunt who used to paint, or um, a friend who used to play you know some kind of sport of some renown, something like that. And then if, if you've ever had this person and then you, you kind of have the chance to kind of step into their world one time and actually see their achievements um, or see their, their talent at work. I have a, an occasion uh, in my life where I was a friends uh, w- with a gentleman he worked for. He was one of our sergeants on our squadron. And the conversation of ping pong came up, which is something that I'm more than happy to talk trash about. And so that's what I did. I began to commence to talking trash about my mad skills and ping pong. Um, it is my spiritual gift. Not ping pong. <laughs> talking trash about ping pong is my spiritual gift. I'm, I'm slightly better than mediocre, but, uh, but I can talk a big game, and that's what I do. I talk a big game, especially when there's no ping pong table around. So that's what I was doing. I was, ah, was going to put on a clinic, and I was offering lessons, uh, to all my friends who needed, they didn't have my skills, and yada, yada, yada. And I'm, I'm playing myself up, because that's what I do. And uh, the sergeant, Will's his name, he says, Hey, yeah, sir, I like, I like to play ping pong. So I was like, All right, Will, meet me out back, and I'll teach you a few things. And, and I just kind of trumpeted like I do. And then the opportunity actually presented itself to play, young Will. Actually, he's older than me, quite a bit older than me, uh, which, uh, and again, I assumed I had the advantage, uh, you know, and uh, so anyway, uh, he says, you know, you want to play, and so the time was kind of coming, and as the time approached for the actual event, um, I sobered down a little bit, and I was trying to kind of feel him out, and so, you know, so, you, 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 know, you have a ping pong table in your basement, you know, and he said, well, no, I, you know, I played a little bit. A little, and my younger years, and I was like, oh, like for at school, when you were at school, because that's what college kids do instead of going to class as they play ping pong. And uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, that's what I did um, <laughs> in high school, in high school. And, and so I was like, yeah, so did you learn in school? Is that where you learned to play? And he's like, no, I played with a team. So I was like, oh, you know, you were like part of the band. You were part of the band team, and in your spare time you played with your band team? And he's like, no, no, I, I actually played on a, an actual ping pong team. Really? What, what team was that? And he said, the U.S. Olympic ping pong team. <laughs> this guy was the U.S. national ping pong champion who represented our nation in Seoul on the maiden outing of ping pong. I think I could have played with this guy for an hour and not scored. For an hour. I mean, in order for me to have a game, he had to, like, close his eyes and play with his left hand and turn around. But, you know, I have to say I loved every second of it because when you can be, when you are in someone else's glory. I mean, that' what it was. It was, it was, it wasn't... It was so far away that I could just enjoy it. I mean, he was so much town and so much pleasure just to even appreciate the, the skill level involved. And that's what I want us to do today. Th- this morning, we're going to be with God in his glory. The glory that you and I don't, we can't even begin to imagine we're going to be allowed just to draw in and see, and it's, it's, us, it's for us just to enjoy. It's so different. It's so more than who we are. It's for us to, just to share in and to enjoy, and that's, that's what Matthew's giving us this morning in, in his text here in the 28th chapter. And so let's, let's look at it, and we'll, we'll read, and then see what, what the Lord has to say. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. There they will see me. All of the gospel writers give us an account of the resurrection. Actually, none of them give us an account of the resurrection. Um, They give us an account of people seeing the empty tomb. Christ is resurrected, and we get to see the empty tomb, but in all the gospel accounts, we have this scene. Matthew, uh, his account, the narrative is a bunch of it's a compilation of different images or scenes that are very, they're texturally, they're very closely jammed together. And so it's not always clear when one ends and when one begins or the duration of a scene or, or the relationship of the scene. Matthew's not really working hard to transition you from this one scene to the other. He just lays them out one at a time. So we don't know, you know, suddenly when Jesus appears, is was that suddenly as in, Right after the angel talked, suddenly he appeared, or was that suddenly as though in an instant? I think it's more like in an instant, that it might have been much later in the day, there was a suddenly appearance. Likewise, it appears in Matthew that the women are coming to the tomb, and then the angel comes down. We know from the other Gospels that the, the order of these is that the angel and the earthquake and all that has happened, and then the women arrive, and, and the order is it seems that the apostles are as excited as we are in the telling. And the scenes are just laid out for us, and they're placed there. But what we see here in this scene is that as the women were on their way to the tomb, during that trip, an angel of the Lord appeared. The sky ripped open, and a mighty angel descended. And the the text says this. It says, there was a great earthquake. And then it says, the angel was like lightning. Imagine that, like lightning. And his clothes, they were white as snow. And at his very presence, the guards shook and fainted. And he single-handedly just rolled the stone out of the way and sat down on the stone. That is a great scene. And this is a great scene. An angel is a messenger of God, but they do more than simply say the words of God. They, they're more than simply a, a, a mouthpiece of God. They convey the demeanor of the Lord. And so in this case, as in other places in Scripture, the angel is adopting the demeanor of God. It's a godlike demeanor, as like lightning and white as snow. These sorts of things show up in the book of Revelation as descriptors for Jesus. The angel has adopted the demeanor of glory, God's glory, to display to the people who see it. Even note how he sits. There's no other place in the entire Bible that I have been able to find an angel that sits. He sits on the empty tomb as though it is his throne, as though God sits on death. He rules over it. I mean, this is such a brilliant... Moment, it's it's literally earth shattering. I mean, it's 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 literally not of this world. It's supernatural as God conveys His glory before these women. And I will confess, I I've needed this this scene. I think the church needs this scene. I think. That we need Easter. We need this time to celebrate and recognize who God really is. We need to see the glory. And at times we just need to bask in the glory of God. And this angel just allows us to bask in the glory. There's so much daylight here. There's so much light. And there's times when even in our Christian life or even in our Christian study that the heaviness of the conviction of the faith or what we need to do or what we've done wrong or how we need to be better, all of that heaviness can sit on us and there's simply times where we need to stop and realize that God is profoundly amazing. And he came down on our behalf. If you have, over this past week, tried to keep, the death and, resurrection, death and resurrection of Christ in your mind. So, Thursday at dinner, maybe you thought this is the last meal that Christ is ever going to eat. And Thursday night, maybe as you were putting your kids to bed, you would think to yourself this is the moment when Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane saying to his apostles, Stay awake, pray with me, pray for me and for yourselves. And as you were going to bed late at night, if you woke up in the middle of the night, Thursday night, you could wake up and know in your mind at this time, right now, Jesus is being betrayed by Judas into the hands of his enemies. Right now, when you would wake up Friday morning, you could think of this time, Peter's wailing bitterly because he has denied our Lord and Savior three times. And then by the time you're at lunch, you could imagine that Pontius Pilate is washing his hands and saying, the blood is on yourselves, not me. And by the time that you're in the mid-afternoon, you could imagine that Jesus Christ is breathing his last and is saying, it is finished. And by Saturday, when you and I are going about our business, they weren't going about their business. The apostles They were weeping and grieving and hiding and fearful. There was no hope. And this is the scene that God gives them. This is the scene. Earthquake, lightning, white as snow. Do not be afraid. He is not here, He has been raised. it's important for us to remember that because there's times when it can feel oppressive, even if you think not simply of the crucifixion scene that I just described, but of Jesus' ministry. You know, when God came down, it's as though Christ came into earth and he climbed into a lead box called the human skin. And in this lead box, he ministered. And so for us, even most of his ministry feels very human. We feel the humanness of his ministry. And, And he behaves by our rules while he's here. And so during all of his time on earth, he's behaving by our rules, even though things are being said and done to him that are so not keeping with his divine personhood. As he stands before the Sanhedrin, being spit in the face, saying blasphemy to you who claims to be the son of God. Imagine that was said to God. he kind of, he played the human. And not even just for those who denied him or rejected him or accused him or betrayed him or turned him over to be killed, but if you just think about all the people, all the throngs of people that traveled along with him in his ministry, nobody has recognized him for the God he is throughout that whole ministry. He goes into a town and people, throngs of people rushed him. Why? to hear words that pertain to eternal life? No, because he healed somebody in the last town and maybe he'll do it again. And there's times when Jesus, by the the lake shore, has said to people, after feeding the 5,000, a bunch of people show up in the morning and he says, why are you here? you here for breakfast? You want me to do it again, don't you? It's as though he's saying, if you could only see the brilliance inside, you would know who I am. But you can't see it. And more than that, you have people who would follow after him because they thought he was a good teacher. Two, two brothers, right? And Luke, two brothers find Jesus. They don't say, oh, Messiah, Holy One, the Holy One of God, Son of God, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth, begotten Son of God who was there at the beginning, before the beginning, by, from whose hands all of creation was wrought. They didn't say that. They said, Rabbi, our dad died, and we have a disagreement about our will. Can you sort that out for us? Even the disciples don't get who he is. There were towns and villages, entire towns and villages that said, we're not interested. We're not interested in what you have to say. The Holy One of God, you know how he traveled? He traveled by foot from village to village. He stayed in people's homes as a guest. He hungered and he thirsted on this earth. We don't even do that to our conference speakers. We put them up in nice hotels. The whole story of Christ is one that has been muted by this lead box we call his humanity. And finally, finally with this appearance of the angel, God is conveying the glory of God. He's conveying for the people around the brightness of the divine personhood, the the idea that what has happened is so important and is so amazing and needs to be celebrated so much. In fact, every time an angel shows up like this in the New New Testament, something really big is going to happen. When was the last time that we saw an angel come to earth and say, do not be afraid? It was the advent of Christ. It was his incarnation. To the shepherds, do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news and great tidings that are for all the people. This evening in the town of David is born. Jesus, who is the Christ, the son of David, go. Worship him there, go. It's at these moments that the Lord kind of separates out the skies and sends down to say, what is happening is brilliant. And it's for the people. And it's for us to see. This is for us to see. The angel wasn't there for Jesus to see. Jesus didn't need the stone rolled back. The angel did not roll back the stone and Jesus did not walk out. That's not the order. The angel rolled back the stone to display an empty tomb. That's what the angel did. In all four gospels, that is the implication. That the angel reveals an already empty tomb. That all of this is being done so that mankind can participate in the resurrection. Come and see for yourselves, the angel says to them. Just as he said, the angel says to them. Go see for yourselves. He is not here. He is risen. Now go tell people. And the angel presents himself in such a way as to convey the glory of God that that has been muted by this lead box we call humanity, but now is is to be seen. And it's, it's only an angel. Imagine how much more if it were Christ himself in his full glory. Imagine how much more than this angel. It says in Revelation 5, and Revelation 5 is when Jesus finally appears in the image to John, and and he appears as a a lamb who was slain, and he's sitting on the throne, and all of heaven begins to wail and worship. They're bowing and they're singing from the elders around to to the, the creatures that worship all the way out. And then at the end of the chapter, it says, And then I saw, John writes, Thousands of angels, he says. And then it's almost like he says, no, no, no. It wasn't thousands of angels. It was 10,000 times 10,000 angels who I saw. And they all gathered around and they began to sing in unison. And he said, worthy is the lamb who was slain, to whom receives the power and the honor and the wealth and the strength and the wisdom and the glory and the praise. Amen. Amen. There's this, that's how much more Jesus is than this 20-watt angel. And this angel makes them swoon. This angel has to say, don't be afraid. Even though I am one of the 10,000 who bow at the throne of the Lamb. Jesus is the great one. This is a day that we celebrate because he is not here, he is risen. Come and see just as he said. And yet, we find ourselves in the second half of this narrative. Look at the eighth verse. So the women hurried away from the tomb Afraid, it says, and yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they, there they will see me. They are met by Jesus along the way, it says. So they're on their way. I don't know. We don't know exactly when, but they're met by Christ. He encounters them. And what we find then is the same, in in some ways, is the same old Jesus we always knew. So in the one hand, you have this brilliant moment at the empty tomb saying, displaying the power of God and pronouncing the resurrection to the people, that this this is who God's like. And then suddenly he appears to these women. And actually, it says in your text in the NIV, he says, greetings. It actually is more like, hello. That's what it is. It's hello. It's not even as formal as greetings. It's hello. Hello. And he, he's, when he steps, when his feet land, it's not earthquakes. And when they turn to see him, it's not as though there's lightning. I didn't see it in the text. I don't see lightning there. It's not as lightning. And he's not arrayed in a pure white like snow outfit. It's Jesus. They recognize him as Jesus. They turn. He's physical like Jesus. They turn. They fall on their feet, and they begin to worship. They put their hands on his nail-scarred feet and are worshiping him. You halfway expect with the angel, if Jesus is 10,000 times 10,000, he he's not even comparable. It's not even apples and oranges how much bigger he is than the angels. It's apples and the, he who made apples bigger. He's that much bigger. You halfway expect him to say, as they're rushing towards his feet to say, Rabboni, you halfway expect to say, come no closer. For the ground on which you stand is holy. Remove your sandals, for I am risen. You expect that. We have the right to expect that. Is it not the great one? But does he do that? No. They fall at his feet and they worship. You can tell they've changed. Now they worship him and they fear. He says, do not be afraid. And then he says these words. These are some of the best in the Bible. He says, go tell my brothers I'm coming. The very same God who reveals himself in all the power at the empty tomb is the very same God that reveals himself as being absolutely approachable. He who, in a moment, at his very presence, could I mean, how much more than the angel could he make the nations and the leaders of this world swoon and faint? This very same person is saying to these women who have embraced his feet, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers. This is the best part of our faith. This is the height of Christendom. Look, all through, all through the world, there's truth and oftentimes truth is found in various religions. I'm not here to deny that. In fact, I celebrate some of that. The fact that you go to different parts of the world and you find intersecting truths and parallel truths, and and it's nice to know that that, that around the world that there's truth being worked through, and, and all of this is happening, and that's to be celebrated, and it's great. But I will say this, that Christianity says this. This is the story of Jesus Christ is saying that I am the Holy One. By my hands, everything was made. By my sacrifice, everything was saved. Because I love you, I have died to save you. I am glorious, I am splendid, I am like the lightning, like the thunder, and the earth quakes beneath my feet. You have that, and then you have, and I love you like a brother. Nobody else has that. This is the resurrection. The resurrection it, to confess and celebrate the resurrection is to know that God who made us and is splendid is God who receives us as brothers. Colossians says, to all who received the Lord, to all who received him in faith, he gave the right to be called sons of God and co-heirs with Christ. There is, there is a mystery here that in Christ coming low, He has raised us up almost to the point where there is a sense of equality. We are his brothers and sisters and in Christ we are co-heirs before the Father. Those are the words of God. Here's the story. I'm always thoughtful on Easter you know, I don't know. Maybe you were walking outside and you walked in for the first time. Welcome if you did. And these are for you. But here's the story: because of God's great love for us, because of his great love for mankind, because he loved us, God sent his son. God chose to make things right. God loved us and He saw the dysfunction on this earth, the evil wrapped in on evil, the grief tied in with grief, the mourning, the injustice. God looks down, He saw that, He shared our grief, and because of His great love for us, He sent His only Son who came down, who was a worthy sacrifice, a worthy Passover sacrifice so that we might not receive judgment, but instead be called brothers of Christ and sons of God. That is the story. That is the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection. To all who cry out to Jesus, he has forgiven them. There's this moment, I think, That in one sense, all of us are going to eventually stand and peer at an empty tomb. I don't mean Christians, I mean people. At some point in our lives, all of us are eventually going to, it's going to feel like we're staring into an empty tomb. But whether it's the situation in your life, of the circumstances, whether you you endure some kind of injustice, or you fall ill, or you feel your mortality, whatever it is, whether you've been riding a myth in your life, a myth that has promised you satisfaction, and you've ridden that horse until it dies, and now you find yourself 30 years late on an idea that's not paying off, and you're staring there, and you're looking into an empty tomb, everybody will eventually be sitting on the threshold, staring into death, going, what is the deal? And in this world, you are either going to say, you're going to look in the tomb and you're going to say, I knew it, God is not there. You're going to say he's not there. And in your mind, you're going to be tempted to say he's not there because either he doesn't exist or he doesn't care or because he doesn't love you. And I'm here to say he is not there because he is risen, because he loves you. He is the first fruits from among the dead. He is risen, and in his resurrection, Our hope comes for our resurrection. We're going to all stare in. And either we're going to see a place where there is no God, or we're going to have the hope that God has risen. And I will say this He's risen, and He will meet us along the way. Happy Easter.